Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. It's good to see all of you again. And uh, this morning, we're going to continue a journey that we've made the last few weeks, uh, just exploring various uh, passages that are particularly relevant for our present crisis. Uh, see, two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 77, and we talked about stress, the stress that we feel, uh, especially the additional stress that we feel during this time. Last week, we looked at, we looked at Psalm 88 and talked about uh, just the times that we feel uh, discouraged, or we may feel depressed uh, when all seems dark around us. And this, this Sunday, and this Sunday and next Sunday, I actually want to make a transition or pivot a little bit um, from, from texts that would help us to cope, that would help us to, to address the, the pain, the struggle that we feel in the midst of this crisis, to actually consider um, a different question, how we're to think about the crisis. And specifically, I want to talk to you about uh, the news media. I think it's a particularly relevant issue. I don't know about you, I'll mention this more later, but I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I have been reading an extraordinary amount of news these last, uh, however long it's been, four, six, eight weeks now. And I want to talk this Sunday about the news media from the perspective of our friends and family. Uh, we live in a highly polarized time, and I want to address the news media with respect to our relationships whether it's relationships here uh, at Good Shepherd in the body of Christ, among fellow believers, whether it's relationships that you may have with family, coworkers, or classmates, or friends, how do we, how do we broach the topic? How do we think about the, the, the news media when interacting with friends and family and persons we know? And so this Sunday is going to be more devotional, more topical, as, we, as, I, as I address that. I'm going to require you to examine your heart. It's going to be challenging that way, but I also think it's going to be encouraging. Next Sunday, what I want to do is, is again, focus on the, the topic of the news media, but I want to do it from a perspective that is more um, intellectual or more, if you will, theological. I want to ask the question, how are we to conceive of the news media? New, excuse me, the news media. How is the news media to relate to the church today? And so, whereas this Sunday I'm going to require your heart of you, next Sunday I'll, I'll be requiring your head. So we, our present moment is, a, is a, obviously our, our present cultural moment is a time of disease and division, isn't it? It's a time where the, the coronavirus is, all, is on our minds, and it's a time, it's, a, it's an election year, and it's a time of tremendous polarization and division within our with our country, and we, we've seen how that has actually impacted how we have thought about the, um, the, the, the virus, how we have seen public discourse, and the, uh, and the ways that it's discussed in the media. And, uh, and that's, that's often very, uh, very disheartening to us, very incredibly disheartening when we see that division. I don't know how many of you have tried to maybe broach this topic, talk about the, the, the virus with friends or family or persons you know, and, and, and soon the conversation may get difficult or awkward, just as, as often political conversations do. The, the disease has been so politicized. And I think there's another layer that we could add on to this, and that's the, that's the layer of social media. It's one thing to talk in person, and it's a whole other dimension to see these matters discussed on Facebook or Instagram or in the various uh, media platforms where actually the conversation 
uh, is usually far less, uh, far less um, civil. And uh, perhaps you have seen, you've read articles where you scroll down to the bottom and you see comment sections. And in those comment sections, you see persons just verbally destroying each other. In fact, I, one of our elders, Jim Armbrecht, was sharing with, uh, with me just last night about how he had, this is some, some time ago, had gone online on the internet to, to look for uh, some recipes um, for, for, um, for uh, uh, cooking a turkey for Thanksgiving. And, he, and uh, he looked at this particular website and he scrolled down as he, as he looked through the ingredients and the recipe that it was in the process of, of, of cooking the turkey. And he got down to the comments section and he saw a, 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 a sign or a little notice saying that the, the, the comment section had been closed because the topic had become too controversial. Now, I think that gives a, a sense of where we are as a, as, a, as a culture when a comment section on how to cook a turkey has been closed because it's too controversial. And this morning what I want to do is, is actually just read from 1 Corinthians 1, uh, where we read about some very conflicted, uh, divided Corinthians. Um, it's a context in which, to which Paul is writing, and these Corinthians are really Christians who are divided along various factions within their church. And the problem is more or less that everyone, every faction, thought that they had more wisdom more insight than everyone else, than, than all the other uh, factions. So let me read this passage to you. I'm going to refer to it only intermittently. I'm going to refer to a number of different passages uh, for our time here uh, this morning. But I want to read this text because I think it really sets the tone of what I want to say this morning. So here now, the word of the Lord is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 18. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, beginning in uh, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, did not recognize him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. 
Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's uh, bow our heads and pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, how good it is to, uh, to, to discuss your word, to, to feed upon it this morning. We ask that you, Jesus, the bread of heaven, would feed us. You would soften our hearts, make our hearts like the soil that is um, so ready to receive the seed of your word then to go on and bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will be multiplied 30, 60, 90, even 100 times what was there before. Father, please see fit to send your spirit. Father, how much we need your eyes to see, your ears to hear. Change us from the inside out. Conform us to the likeness of Christ. Enable us to love you more, to love our neighbor, to rest upon Christ and his righteousness. Oh, Father, please be present to equip your saints for the sake of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, what I want to do is take you this morning back to a time, uh, really in 2016. In fact, it was the evening before the... Um, the presidential election uh, in 2016. I had actually spent very little, if any, time following the news media uh, in the, in, during the campaign. In fact, I, right, wrong, good or bad, I sort of checked out of it, which wasn't that interested. But it was the evening of the campaign, and I happened to check uh, my, uh, I don't know if I checked my browser or checked uh, the news. It was probably 10 o'clock in the evening, and it dawned on me that uh, now President Trump may actually have a, a, a meaningful, a real chance of, of winning the election. And from there on out, I was glued to uh, the screen the rest of the evening and into the early morning. And really, from there on out, for the next four to six weeks, I was hooked on the news. Uh, morning, afternoon, evening, checking, just simply in awe of what had happened and, and, and just so intriguing and really curious to see what would happen from there. And, uh, and it was in those four to six weeks that I really was, was involved, was engaged with the news media, engaged in, 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 with the news in a way that I really haven't, hadn't been before, at least any time, any recent time, and really hadn't been since until the past six to eight weeks. And I want to just, I want to just look back to that time of the 2016 election, not to comment, comment on it politically, but to comment, to look back and to, and to say, what, what did those four to six weeks following the campaign, what influence, what impact did they have on me? And I, I, I want to say that by the end of that time, by the end of those four, those four to six weeks, there were, there were a number of things that I was feeling. 
The first thing that I, I, I felt, I think, was that I was, I remember feeling very interested. I mean, very intrigued, very, even, I mean, just, there's so much to learn. You get into the ins and outs of all these various issues. There was a sense of intrigue, of interest. And that, that was, in many ways, a really good and beautiful thing. But along with that interest, that, that interest became enthrallment. Even, even, to the, even you, might, you might call addiction. Not only was I feeling interested, I was feeling addicted. In fact, I, f- I found myself going back to it compulsively, checking the news, checking various websites. In addition to being interested and, and even addicted, I felt, after four to six weeks, I honestly felt drained. I felt drained. It's, it's just overwhelming, right? The 24-hour news cycle, there's always something new, always some new development that's happening. And so I felt drained. And, and in addition to feeling drained, I also felt disoriented, very disoriented. I mean, you think, after you read all these various articles and you wonder, you know, who is right? And, and how would I know? And, and what really happened? And how would I know what really happened? So I felt interested, intrigued, but I felt addicted. And I felt drained. And I felt disoriented. And I think the, uh, in time, uh, I felt at the end of those four to six weeks, I not only felt disoriented, I felt a measure of hopelessness. I felt hopeless. Hopeless and even helpless. Hopeless in the sense I was just depressed. Seems that no news is good news. The 24-hour news cycle, sometimes I think should be called the 24-hour blues cycle, or even for some of us, the 24-hour booze cycle, right? I mean, it's just, there's no good news there, and you just, man, you just think, I'm just going to go get a drink or something. You just want to just check out. So there's a sense of hopelessness when we, when we, when I was immersing myself in the news like that. And then in addition to that, finally, I would say there was a sense of helplessness. You know, you listen to the national news. And all these major forces at play, these actors and agents and movements, and you think, what in the world can I do about that? And the answer is maybe eat or drink or just whatever. There's nothing, there's nothing you can do about it. So at the again, at the end of those four to six weeks, I felt I felt interested, but I felt really, really addicted and drained, disoriented, hopeless and helpless. And maybe ask this question, where is a person supposed to go find reliable national news? Especially given all the, how polarized and fragmented our country is. I mean, especially when you think of how abysmal, just incredibly complex the issues are. When you think of the apparent unreliability of the, ex, the supposed experts, you think of the lackluster reporting of so many of the news media sources. And you, again, you ask the question, where's a person supposed to go to find reliable national news, especially when, when there are these various media outlets are regularly churning out clickbait articles, articles that are usually entertainment-oriented, spin-filled, and driven by big data. I had the big data, and they regularly serving old only to perpetuate the endless 24-hour news cycle. So what, what are we to do in those circumstances? And especially, one thing I didn't, didn't mention is just the ways in which trying to talk about these issues with others, whether it's family members or friends or brothers and sisters in the Lord, was not an easy thing to do. 
And so if you have ever felt those ways, if you've ever wondered where in the world am I supposed to get reliable news, how am I supposed to keep the national news from impacting me in such a negative way, well, you're not alone, actually. Um, in fact, um, in, a recent, in a recent study, uh, 2015, in the National Journal, um, there was this, this uh, investigation done in which a number of congreg- uh, um, various uh, congressional staff, uh, federal government executives, and various private sector public affairs professionals they were all asked the same question. Again, these are, like, these are folks who are insiders, are Beltway insiders. And they're all asked the same question. How do you get your news? And it's interesting. Here's how one, one author summarized the, the response of these Washington insiders. He said, quote, According to the study, it was now easier than ever for these insiders to obtain information. But... It was harder than ever for them, for them to make sense of it all. Now just stop and think about this. Here are these insiders. Here are these folks who are high-powered influencers. They're in the know. They have no problem getting all this information, obtaining it. But it's incredibly difficult for them to interpret it. The author goes on to say, professionals in, professionals in Washington, like everyone else, were, quote, somewhat paralyzed, says the study somewhat paralyzed by the glut of news that left them, again, to quote the study, lacking confidence in individual sources and information. So again, if you're feeling like depressed, overwhelmed, confused, I mean, you're not alone. We're not alone at all. In fact, Washington insiders feel the exact same way. And um, we could rightly ask if the professional policymakers and the staff in Washington can't make sense of the news, how can anybody else? So I, I began to ask myself at that time, in those four to six weeks after the election, I, I asked myself, what, what, what did I really know now? Right after having spent all that time reading the news, what did I really know and how sure was I that I knew it? And all of that made me step back and ask an even more fundamental question. And the question is this. How should my faith inform how I go about trying to inform myself of the national news? Okay, and then just, you know, for this, today's uh, uh, sermon, what I want to do is actually set aside the international news, which is actually very important but just for this specific topic, I'm going to focus mostly on the national, this specific uh, sermon, excuse me, I want to focus on the national news. Now, I want to just share some insights, some thoughts, some reflections on how to answer that question this morning, okay? So this is not the, the last word on how Christians should, should engage with the news media, but it's, it's a first word. It's a first word that I want, to, I want to encourage you to dialogue, think about with. So again, first the first thing I think that a Christian response or Christian engagement with the news media should, uh, should look like, first thing is that there should be humility. There should be humility. And that humility should free us to simply not have an opinion at times. You know, there are so many pressing, complicated, um, very uh, uh, subtle, nuanced issues out there and sometimes, as a, as a person, as an individual human being, we may not have 
much knowledge about them. And it's okay to simply not have an opinion. As Christians, we say that humans are not gods, right? We weren't created to be know-it-alls. However, we do have an incredible capacity to learn. But until we actually use that ability, as the Old Testament wisdom literature says, says something very important, that wisdom involves freely admitting what we do not and perhaps cannot know or understand. That's very important. So, so perhaps, you know, I mean, again, there's immense social pressure sometimes to be in the know, to have, to take a particular stance on an issue, immigration, racism, or whatever it may be. These, these different, these different uh, news media events come, come out, and we're supposed to have this, this we're supposed to take a side. And this, that's, I just think that's complete foolishness. And it perpetuates ignorance, and, and, and it actually, just actually stifles real conversation. So here's the thing. When you're with family, or you're with friends, or when you're interacting on the phone or on Zoom, when you're discussing the national news with others, it's altogether appropriate and edifying to say something like this. You know, I've only skimmed, an, on this particular issue, I've only skimmed an article here and there. So, you know, I'm fairly sure I, I just don't know enough to have an opinion on this yet. That's actually quite an unusual thing to say. That will actually get person's attention and say, ha, huh. it's a statement of humility. And here's the thing, that in that particular conversation where you say, you know what, I just haven't read enough yet, I'm not sure I know enough to have an opinion, the chances are that that might just be the case for everyone else in the conversation. And you know what, there's even a place when someone starts spouting off uh, claiming to know all these various things, there's a place for just asking them, oh, what have you read that's led you to believe that? What articles have you read? What, what books have you read? Again, very respectfully, very, not, not somehow in an in a, in a underhanded way or, or somehow suspicious way, but just an honest question, what have you read? And often it will be, the answer will be very little. They've read, oh, I read an article on this website or whatever. And they've read very little. So the first thing that we are to do as Christians, as we think about the news media, the national news, is to be humble. To simply just not have an opinion. But secondly, that in that same humility, it calls us to realize that we may have the wrong opinion. See, the beginning of the Christian journey is the end of arrogance. It's the end of presumption. It's the end of an arrogance that just assumes that it's already got the inside scoop. All I need to do is find the facts to prove it. It's the end of confirmation bias. See, the Apostle Paul argued that Jesus' crucifixion, we see this in 1 Corinthians 1, he argued that Jesus' crucifixion was proof of how completely foolish humanity really is. In Jesus Christ, love came down. Love walked among us. Love spoke to us. Love was there. And what, what did we do? What did, humanity do? what did humanity do? We all banded together to crucify him. That is to say, the creator sent the one who is the solution, who is the answer, capital A, the solution, capital S, to all the darkness, to all the evil within us and around us. And we all thought that he was the problem, capital P. 
And so what do we do? Ah, we kill them. That's how wise we are. See, to be a Christian, then, is to understand how incredibly wrong, how incredibly wrong we can be. But how often the truth is, listen to this, this is important. How often the truth is both countercultural and counterintuitive. It's counter to the voices around us, and it counters to the voices within us. I mean, stop and actually contemplate just how sobering, even harrowing, are the following words of Jesus. Listen to these words. I mean, he speaks of the masses and the opinions of the masses. Wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and those who enter through it are many. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is saying the popular opinion is usually a deadly opinion. So we can't just assume that we're right. See, Christians need to seek out, and listen, this is so important. As Christians, we are to seek out and read opinions that may contradict our initial understanding of what's happening in our nation and why it is. And it's so powerful. Again, when you're with family and friends or you're with coworkers or classmates, you're discussing something with them on the phone or on Zoom, that you, it's a very powerful thing to say, you know, I came to this issue, this particular issue, thinking such and such. I came to it thinking A. But you know, I've come to realize that I was wrong in a number of ways. See, that's, that's holy. That's, people are like, well, stop. And like, Whoa, that's different. Here's someone admitting that they were actually wrong. Unsurprised, just freely saying, you know, I, I got it wrong. So for the Christian, the cross of Christ means the death of what's called confirmation bias. That it's the default pride in all of us that searches first for the facts that will confirm our initial self-interested impression See, naturally, as humans, we are kings and queens of the infallible first impression. And the cross of Christ puts an end to that. So if the first two things have to do with humility, a humility that may say, you know, I just, I don't know. Or humility that may admit to having a wrong opinion, to willing, eager even, to read an opposing opinion. Third, I think as we think about the national news the Christian is called, listen to this, when you're actually going to investigate, to consider an issue, they're called to read in-depth articles. And yes, gasp, even books. Books written and articles written by experts in a given field. Right? Have you ever wondered, I mean, just who is writing so many of the news articles that we read online? It's amazing in fact, uh, one particular author, um, who's a professor, he laments how many universities today, um, their, their, their various departments, um, departments of communication, departments of journalism, this is how they do it. He says that these departments, quote, crank out young people with little knowledge about the subjects of their correspondence. These students are schooled in the structure of a story, but not in the habits or norms of the profession the markets focus on form rather than content. The need for speed and the fashionable biases of the modern university combine to create a trifecta of misinformation. 
What a quote. By contrast, the wisdom literature of the Old Testament says, listen to this, whoever walks with the wise grows wise. And and again, in Scripture, the wise are not otherworldly, sort of reclusive spiritual gurus. The wise are those with an expertise and a skill learned only by an intimate, experiential familiarity with their topic. It's something they've lived and breathed for a very long time. And that only comes, it doesn't come through just some random article on CNN or Fox News or wherever. If we want reliable national news, we want to understand a topic, all right, it's important to actually read. Now listen to this. I'm going to kind of challenge you a little bit. If you really care about an issue, or if you say that you care about an issue, and yet you haven't really read any in-depth articles, you haven't really read any books, you need to come to terms with that. You need to look in the mirror and say, honestly, you know what? I say that I care about this issue, but I don't. The fact of the matter is I have spent way more time watching Westworld or Game of Thrones or, or you name whatever, 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 you know, whatever, um, a series that you have imbibed over the hours and hours and weeks and months, you've spent way more time doing that than you have actually investigating an issue that you supposedly are so passionate about. Okay? So just simply to stop and say, you know, I, I actually really don't care about this issue as much as I, as I would like. Okay, so now, now let me just, um, let me just, let me just pause there and speak, give you an example. Um, you know, a number of summers, a number of fall, well, summers ago, I, I spent some time studying the issue of um, race and racism. In fact, I read 30, I've, since then I've probably read about 40 to 45 books on the matter and numerous t- articles. And none of that makes me an expert. It really doesn't. You may say, wow, that's, those are a lot of books, a lot of time. It is, but none of it actually makes me an expert. But what it's revealed is this, and this is, not, this is really not that surprising, is that, listen, that there is a virtual Grand Canyon between what I've read so far by the subject matter experts on the one hand, and then what I, what I read daily in the news media. So much of it is just simply garbage. Listen, if you want to understand a topic, you need to read books, okay? And it's just such, a, well, such an important thing to do. Let me give you just one example um, I can give you the example of, say, uh, um, Randall Kennedy. I'll mention Randall Kennedy in a second here. But he, he wrote a real book. He's a Harvard law professor. wrote a book called Race, Crime, and the Law. It's simply outstanding. And he, he does, and I just, I, I, have, a, I have a good measure of, of disagreement with, with Kennedy in a number of philosophical, social, and political issues. And yet I really, as I was reading the book, I found a lot of his central arguments cautiously made and either either thoroughgoingly, thoroughly convincing or actually, you know, relatively compelling. And that's so good to read people that you disagree with and say, you know what, wow, they're making some points that I simply hadn't thought of. And here's, so here's the point. Experts help us understand longstanding national issues. So why? So that we can better interpret any given national event. So, listen to this. Here's the, here's the takeaway. When we're discussing national news with others, it communicates a lot. I mean, so much. We're talking with family, friends, coworkers, whomever. It communicates a lot when we say, oh, you know what? I read an intriguing book. 
I read a really good in-depth article on that topic by, you know, by so-and-so. He's a subject, he's a subject matter expert in, in the field. And I'm not sure I agree with all of it, but she argues such and such. Now, I don't know. What, what, what do you think about that argument? See, you're opening up the discussion, and you're actually referring to an authority that's worth uh, someone who actually has something to say. So the next thing that I think is important for Christians as they consider the news media, listen to this, is to have real relationships with persons you really disagree with. Or disagree with. Let me say that again. It's so important to have real relationships with persons with whom you really disagree. This is, this is absolutely essential. I am regularly fascinated and frustrated by things that people are willing to say on social media, things they would never say in person. And when we share our views on a computer rather than in a conversation, we're far, far more inclined to be guilty of caricature and condescension. And we make fools, we make fools of no one but ourselves. You know, Christians are called by the second greatest commandment, as what we recite almost every Sunday, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It doesn't say love your conservative neighbor or love your progressive or liberal neighbor. People are not arguments to be destroyed, but they are persons made in the image of God. Even if their arguments are of little worth, it doesn't remotely mean that they are of little worth. So when we're discussing the national news with others, we need to do it with people with whom we, lo- whom we love deeply and with whom we disagree deeply. It's a powerful thing in a conversation with family or friends to say, you know what, my good friend, so-and-so, he, he really disagrees with me on this. He says such-and-such. And I have to admit, I, I just hadn't thought of that before. It's actually a really good point. More than ever in our culture today, we need that. We need to have, and the Christians should be leading the way. The church should be leading the way in having relationships with persons with whom we ideologically are in strong disagreement. So uh, listen, one more thing here. Uh, It's important as Christians, I think, to distinguish between individual lived experience and aggregated research. That's kind of a mouthful. Let me explain. It's important for us to distinguish between individual lived experience, what has happened in my life or what I've seen personally, and aggregated research, what is true statistically. See, here's the thing. With the arrival of the cell phone, with the ability to record live footage, and and with just the whole preference that, that the Western culture has for individual experience. Many news media outlets will, will, will present as news what has happened to a single person. They'll take systemic issues, say it's cancer treatment, or it's car crashes, or it's incarceration, and they'll report it through a single person as if this person's story is now therefore true of all persons who've ever been in that circumstance. It's human testimony. And it's powerful, and it's meaningful. But it's only one person's human testimony, one human's testimony. See, with good reason, the Old Testament law required, quote, the testimony of two or three witnesses for a matter to stand, for an accusation to stand. It's a principle that Jesus himself reinforced. 
And the wisdom literature also states what every parent on the planet has actually experienced when it says in Proverbs 18, 17, the first to present his case seems innocent until another comes forward and questions them. So listen, due to confirmation bias, many, many news media sources, whether they're conservative or progressive, will capitalize on a single person's story, and that person becomes this poster child for a particular ideology, a particular a political position, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, all it is is simply anecdotal, and it's an anecdotal argument. And in opposition to that is the notion of aggregated research, which, quite pro- which, which for the most part takes into, account, it takes into account the personal testimony, but also includes historical, sociological, and statistical methods of analysis. And often the results of that aggregated research are altogether counterintuitive. Very counterintuitive. And why is that? Because quite simply, what the world looks like from 10,000 feet, the big picture, is often very different from what it looks like when we're at five or six feet. Okay, we are, and we are, I think we all know that. Okay, so then the final thing that I would want to say here is, is this. I, I mentioned this, but I'm going to add these, these parts because I think it's very important. So I've said, but I've talked about humility and the ways in which humility calls us to sometimes simply not have an opinion, right? And also, humility calls us to realize that we may well be wrong and not to be surprised by that. We're called to actually listen, to read in-depth articles and books written by subject matter experts in a field if we really care about it, right? Um, and we're called after that, we're called to, uh, to have real relationships with people who really disagree with us and really care about them. Then, uh, then we're also asked to, 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 to distinguish between the lived experience of one person and the aggregated research that comes from looking at statistics and various other forms of, of, uh, of research. And then along with that, we are to get, listen to this Christian, a Christian view of the news media is to pray, to pray nationally. Of course, to pray internationally. The Apostle Paul unambiguously instructs Christians that, listen to this, petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, for all people, regardless of your political views, whether or not you love our president, our governor, our municipal authorities, whether or not, regardless of your view, we are to be praying for them. So when reading the national news, listen, you may feel powerless. You may feel helpless. But as Christians, there's simply no excuse for being prayerless. The prayerlessness is the only true powerlessness. Let me say that again. Prayerlessness is the only true powerlessness. Both corporately and individually, Christians are to pray to a God who hears and who acts, a God who, according to Hannah in 1 Samuel, raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from their ash heap and seats them with princes. The, the very one who, as Isaiah the prophet says, the God who brings princes to nothing and reduces the rulers of the world to naught. So again, we are called to pray so I think along with that prayer, I, I want to just change our focus. That in some ways, national news is, is really, in some ways, very uh, elusive. 
to actually know what's going on in our country today? I mean, who really knows that? And I would actually encourage you as Christians to, to follow the second greatest commandment in making your focus not national, but local. And that would be my final exhortation, to live, to learn, and love locally. Okay, do you see that? I have to live, learn, and love locally. To realize that it is the neighbor, the love of neighbor, the love of the one who is nearby. And you know, so often we feel powerless, even depressed when we read the national news. But these, listen to this, but these same inspired, these, these, this, um, the, the, the authors of scripture, they speak so much, much more frequently of the nearby, the regular, and how God is sovereign over the larger big picture, that we don't need to worry about it. Okay, so again, this focus, this, this, this refocus on the local is both reprioritizing and it's re-energizing. It's actually within our ability to learn about our neighbors. It's actually within our ability to learn about our communities. It's actually something we can do to become, we can actually become familiar intimately with the beauty and the brokenness of our neighbors, of our specific context or area. And what's even better is that that kind of learning about our neighbors and community often involves getting away from our screens and getting out into our neighborhoods. Of course, given the current uh, of uh, the current provisos of social distancing, etc. But regularly, we are called to exercise a humility, a hospitality, and a generosity when we learn to love our neighbor. And here's the thing, as Christians throughout the world, when we learn to love our neighbors, we will learn to change the world. But see, the thing is that when we learn the local news, we learn the local news so that we can then live out the good news in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Let me just conclude with, with this the simple uh, reality that Jesus himself was put to death because of lies. He was put to death because of false testimony. In so many ways, that's what the news media is. It is testimony. And so much of it is truly um, deceptive. And we'll talk about next week about more about that and more about the ways in which the news media acts within our culture and within our, our biblical worldview. Uh, but just, just think that it is Jesus himself who knows what it was like to be the one who was utterly rejected all on a lie. All on a lie. And so that the news about him, the word about him, the report about him, the testimony about him was utterly false, utterly rigged, all planned out, a complete miscarriage of injustice. And you and I are to be people of the truth. Jesus said, it is, I have, my kingdom is a kingdom of truth. So let us, let, us, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, how good it is, how beautiful it is to know that we are free to be wrong, free to not know. Father, not to live in that ignorance, not to, not to live in, that, in, in, in being wrong, but to, to know that as a starting place, that is okay. And Father, I pray that you would give us ears hungry ears, ears eager to listen, ears eager to learn, ears eager to understand just uh, about you and about the world that we live in 
Just beginning with our own hearts, beginning with our neighbors, beginning with our coworkers and our classmates. Lord, would we listen. Father, especially during this time, so many are alone. They're cooped up. Father, they have not talked with, with, uh, with so many. They have not seen or been hugged, Lord, and they, they, they would love to have someone listen to them, to share with them. Oh, Father, please make us a listening people, a people who are listening and loving and, and truly convinced that you indeed are a God who reigns over this world that the kings of the earth are as nothing before you, that you are guiding your plans and your purposes effortlessly throughout history. So Father, please, may we entrust, entrust your world to you and go about living locally by loving our neighbors. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.